I believe the Spirit has already moved among us. Sometimes after a moment such as that, thank you for leading it, that song and in that, in that way, um, there's just not much you want to say because you'll mess it up <laughs> if we say something. So I do thank you for that. Um, each part of the service is, is so, so important, including, um, of course, the reading of his word and the preaching of it. And so this morning, I would invite you to open your Bibles to John, John chapter 12. John chapter 12, verses 36, 36b, actually, verse 36b down through verse 43. John chapter 12. It's also found in page 899 of the, uh, the Bible in front of you. If you don't have your own, I, I would invite you to follow along there. God's inspired word reads, These things Jesus spoke, and he went away and hid himself from them. But though he had performed so many signs before them, yet they were not believing. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet, which he spoke, Lord, who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this reason they could not believe. For Isaiah said again, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart so that they would not see with their eyes and perceive with their heart and be converted, and I heal them. These things Isaiah said because he saw his glory and he spoke of him. Nevertheless, many, even of the rulers, believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they were not confessing him for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the approval of men rather than the approval of God. Father, we ask a blessing upon the reading of your word. Lord, we do believe that it is inspired, that it is inerrant, that it was not only for the original hearers, but it's also for us in this year of 2020. And so, Father, may the power of your Holy Spirit illuminate this text for us. Not only that we can understand it, but also that we, we know how to apply it. I pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. A, a love, a love that destroys. You know, uh, some texts are easy to preach. Other texts are not very easy to preach. And, and some texts are easy for you to read. And some texts are not easy for you to read. And as you do your daily Bible reading, there's probably passage of Scripture that you come across that you just kind of gloss on over, that you just kind of put aside, that you kind of skim over and not pay that much attention to it. And um, that, that, that is nice. I, I, I do that also at times. And so I'm right there with you. Uh, the, the way that, that I've chosen to preach, I believe the way that has been given me to preach, the way that I believe we are supposed to preach is the way that the word is written. And that is one word at a time, one sentence at a time, one, one paragraph at a time, one chapter at a time, one book at a time. And so I don't necessarily see that I have that privilege in still being faithful to the Word of God to be able to skip over texts. So I say that as a preference that I wish this was a text I could just skip over. And so I want to remind you again this morning that I haven't reminded you of for some time, and that is Acts 17, 11, that these Jews, what does it say, that these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. Why is that, Paul? Well, because they took the word eagerly that Paul was preaching, and they went home, and they didn't just say, well, that was nice. They didn't just forget about it. No, they searched the Scriptures 
to see if what Paul said was accurate. And so I would invite you to do the same thing this morning as we look into God's Word here this morning. And so with all that, I certainly don't want to create a false narrative or create a a level of, of wonder that is not necessarily or may not be there. But it's just, it's just, it's just, um, it's challenging. It can be a humbling place, but, um, let me stop rambling and get on with it already. And so I want to start actually this morning, uh, and by drawing a connection to what came up to this next paragraph. And I want to, uh, do that by, by highlighting for you here verse 36b, um, the next starting of the next paragraph that we're covering today, and that is these things Jesus spoke. So these things Jesus spoke. It seems as though John is doing exactly that. John is drawing a connection or pointing back to and, and wanting to make this analogy or wanting to carry forth this thought as we see indeed next week he is doing that between this light narrative, between the light is here for a while and then the light is gone. And the light is here today and is gone tomorrow. And with the unbel- and that is the same as it is with the unbelief of, of, of the people. And it seems as though that John wants to create us a sense of urgency and that John wants us to understand that this light that was obviously before us, it's daylight now and the sun all of a sudden sets. Um, you know, the lights are on, the lights are off. And it seems as though John wants us to understand that, that the light is available for you and I. The light is here. Jesus, God, is here for a time. And then Jesus, the light, is no longer here. Now, if we think about when this was written, that was physically true. That was physically the case. Jesus was physically there, and then Jesus was physically gone. And so certainly there is, there is that there. But, but is there, is there something more to it than that? Because verse 36b says this, it says, these things Jesus spoke, and then he went away and he hid himself, and he hid himself from them. And I think little sentences like that should get your attention, it should get my attention, and it should cause us to ask the question, does Jesus still hide himself today? I mean, was this just for then, or is it also for us? And why did the text tell us that he hid, hid from them? Why does it say that? See, over and over and over again, Jesus did signs. John calls them attesting miracles, just focusing on the gospel of John. John calls them attesting miracles, and still the people refuse to believe. Over and over and over, John did, uh, I mean, it's not even, it's not even an argument. There was never a question as to supernatural miracles that Jesus did. And yet, over and over and over again, the people refused, the people refused, the people refused, it tells us. And so I want to go back, and I want to look at, actually forward, I guess, if you, if you want to look in your, in your Bible, to Romans chapter 1. To Romans chapter 1, I've been spending a lot of time in Revelation and, and then Romans as, as I think ahead to, to what book I may get to in the year 2022 maybe. <laughs> but uh, And I would like to go to Romans. And I'm not just studying, I'm gathering materials. And I've been spending some time in Romans. And, and again, I was, just, I was just reminded of how the letter to the Romans starts out. In Romans chapter 1 verse 8, Paul says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and against all unrighteousness 
of men, of people who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because, and I need to tell us why, because that which is known about God is evident within them. God has made it evident to them. The word evident could just as well be translated as clear. It's clear. God has made it clear to them. For since the creation of the world is invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what was made, so that what? So that they, so that we, so that all are without excuse. For even though they knew God, Paul says, they knew God, and yet... Verse 21, and they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculation and their foolish hearts was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and what? And exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of incorruptible man. In, in whatever that man, whatever that other being takes you. Here it talks about animals and, and about statues, if you will, and about trinkets, if you will. But they replaced the incorruptible with the corruptible. And why? They failed to honor God. They failed to give God glory. You see, so over and over we are reminded of this, that people's unbelief comes from and stems from their own willful neglecting of accepting what is clearly evident before them. And so it would seem as though God does not hide himself from a a people in such a way as, as these people have no knowledge of God, but rather they deny God, and after a period of time, God gives them over to their own desires, gives them, in essence, what they want, what they want. There does seem to come a time when the light is gone. There does seem to come a time when Jesus, as the light, here physically removed from the earth, has left, but also in a spiritual sense. There comes a time when he leaves also a person who is continually over and over and over willfully rejecting him. Rejecting Christ over and over. We are taught this throughout the scriptures. In James chapter 4, verse 14. Not necessarily applicable to this idea, but James talking about the shortness of life. The amount of time that we have on this earth. Some of you who are, are, um, elderly? have lived many years upon this earth, have been blessed with with many, many years, some that have just spent a few years. There's What does time look like? I I remember a time 
Well, I'll finish the thought since I have to finish the thought now, but I, I don't really want to go back there. But nonetheless, now I need to finish it. But I just remember a time where I'd hear my mom and dad, especially my mom, talking about, don't wish your life away. You know, as I was a young guy, I was always wishing for this. this and, you know, there's going to come a time where you're going to look back and wonder what happened. Well, I'm not old yet. I'm just middle age. I'm just getting up to middle age. I'm not even quite middle age yet. <clears throat> but uh, nonetheless... It seems as though life does go very quickly, and that's exactly what James is saying here. He see, he compares it to a vapor. He says, you are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then is gone. The light is here and then it's gone. It's such a short window of time. Such a short window of time. And yet, When we think about the seriousness of the window of opportunity, I also want to bring encouragement. And that is Psalms 102, verse 17. And the psalmist writes, He has regarded the prayer of the destitute and has not despised their prayer. Listen, those who come to God, God will not refuse. Those who come to God and humble themselves before God and acknowledge that they need God, God will not refuse. Uh, the Puritan Richard Sibbs, some of you might recognize the name, others, others not, but he published a book all the way back in 1630. It's just a little book. Um, it's titled The Bruise Read. The Bruise Read. Um, you can write that down. It's a good book. Uh, the Bruise Read, it, it is based on Isaiah 42, verse 3. And 42, verse 3 of Isaiah says this, A bruised reed, he, God, will not break. In a dimly burning wick, he will not extinguish. And within that little book, Sibs writes this, The bruised reed is a man, is a person that for the most part is in some misery, as those were that came to Christ for help. But by misery... He is brought to see sin as the cause of it. For whatever pretenses sin makes, they come to an end when they are bruised and they are broken. Can you relate? Can you relate to the bruised reed and the smoldering flax seed in the, in the King James would say it. The dimly burning wick that's almost flickering out. The reed that's just about ready to snap completely over. Can you relate? Have you come to God or do you crawl up to God thinking, how can God one more time overlook the sin that I keep tripping over, the sin that it keeps tripping me up? God can't even possibly Accept me any longer. And yet, over and over and over and over again, God's word would disagree. and says that those who come to God in such a way, he will in no wise, King James Version, he will in no wise cast out. Can you, can you relate? I remind you of that verse in John chapter 6, verse 37. The one who comes to me, Jesus said, I will certainly not cast out. Listen, before we can even get started this morning, you must understand that those who come to Christ with a sincere heart, he will not cast out. 
But still leaves us with the question, doesn't it? Did Jesus hide himself? Does Jesus still today, on occasion, hide himself? Well, I, I want to, depending upon your Bible, uh, if you have one in your lap, you may look at it or not. You can look at this at home and, and see you might find a little footnote that goes down to the bottom. And, and I nerd out on stuff like this, but, but I think it becomes profitable. Uh, but in the footnote of your Bible, you probably have this note that says, was hidden. Was hidden. And so what I want to understand, because sometimes in the very literal way of translating out of the original languages, it's hard to make sense in English. And so, so though it is literally hid, but, but, but it was hidden. So, so what, what's the point? So, so therefore we must understand here in, in verse um, 36a or b, I'm sorry, these things Jesus spoke. And he went away and hid himself from them. A plain English reading of that would give us the sense of exactly the question we're asking, did Jesus hide himself? And what I'm offering to you that I think we need to look at it and understand that in a different way, in a different, in a different, different light here, um, right here. So, so I think the way we need to understand is that it is God who hid Jesus from them. So, so what is this is, what this is saying then is that these things Jesus spoke and he was hidden from them. And he was, he was hi- hidden from them. And so, um, what, what's my point of all that? Uh, for, for the bruised reed and for the smoking flaxseed, this is, this is, this is my point. For the dimly burning wick, this is, this is my point. See, I believe that here we see it, and we also see it later um, in John chapter uh, 58, 59, maybe. I thought I had that note made, but I think it's John chapter 8, 59. We see that same thought where Jesus went and hid from them. And we need to understand that, no, it was God who hid Jesus from them until his, his hour had come. So my point is this. My point is this, and for a cross-reference, I want to go back to Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 and 4. See, this is what this is what Jesus, or this is what was written here, what Paul wrote to the church at Colossae. He said, therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. For, here's where I'm coming, guard for, Pulls forward, pulls forward. What was coming. For you have died, not physically, spiritually. You have died and your life, and here's our word, your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. What is my point? What is my point for the bruised reed and the dimly lit wick? My point is this, that just as God hid Jesus from those who met him harm and kept him safe until his hour had come, the same is true for the believer, the same is true for the Christ follower, that we have the God's protection around us, that we are hidden with Christ in God and nothing and no one can separate you from the love of Christ, right? That's right. That's what we must, must understand. That's what we, we must take, take away here. And again, I, I go to John chapter 6, verse 39. This is the will of him who sent me, Jesus says. Who sent me? That all that he has given me, listen, I lose nothing. I lose nothing, right? 
I lose nobody and raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have, shall have eternal life. Right? That is what I want you to understand this morning before we can even get started. That is what I want you to understand this morning, that the true believer, the one who is truly surrendered and given to Christ, your life is safe, your life is secure, and it is in Christ. But, and this is where it gets harder, but don't be fooled. Now, let us turn to what John's main point is here of this particular uh, paragraph. And um, <clears throat> since it's John's main point, therefore it's God's main point, since he wrote it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And, and the, the point is this, human unbelief cannot escape from the all-encompassing purposes of God. How this is so, we cannot know. But John doesn't hesitate to affirm this truth. And neither should, shall, must we. And so I want you to notice, as we turn now to this paragraph in verse 37, I, I want you to notice the uncountable opportunities for belief the uncountable opportunities for belief that we see in verse 37. But though he, Jesus, had performed so many signs, six that John recorded for us? No. So many signs before them, and yet they were not, not believing. It isn't just these six that John is pointing to, but all of them. In fact, the very last verse of the Gospel of John Chapter 21, verse 25, John had this to say, There are also many other things, speaking of the signs, which Jesus did, which if they were written in detail, John says, I suppose, he doesn't know, I suppose that even the world itself would not contain the books that would be written. This is the point. They didn't have one opportunity. They didn't have two opportunities. They had a world of opportunities to believe. And yet, they would not believe. That we must understand. The opportunity, the uncountable opportunity was before these folks that John is writing about here. And yet, they would not believe. <clears throat> want us to understand that. I also want us to understand that we err. We err if we think that signs and wonders will convert people. <laughs> example after example is given in the biblical text, which would differ with this notion. So many today still want to get caught up in the external evidences of the supernatural that they end up discouraged. Who of us, I'm included in that, who of us hasn't already asked God, God, I just want to see, see the writing on the wall. God, I just want you to speak clearly to me. God, I just want you to lay it out. All of us want that, and I think we should continue to keep seeking and searching for such things. But also, also let us take warning, let us take heed that those who did, those who walked with Jesus for three years, seen uncountable it's just such things, and yet they did not believe. And we would also err if we think Jesus had failed. I mean, so 
right? So we would also err if we think Jesus has failed as though the outcome of his labors, that though the outcome of three long years, though the outcome of his, his death was in vain or puzzling or disappointed or unexpected. No, not, not at all. It was all completely and fully foretold and planned by God from the very beginning, from before the beginning, from before the foundations of the world. Things have been mapped out. God did not fail. Jesus did not fail. And Jesus will not fail. Jesus will die for no one who will not automatically, who will not, I should say, fully and completely accept him. There's no failure in Jesus. Jesus didn't die in vain for anyone. But for all he died for will come to him. Verse 38 tells us this was to fulfill. So John says, okay, just, just so you understand, right? This is what it says. I mean, so, the, so he says, um, this was to fulfill the word of Isaiah, the prophet, which he spoke. This is a common theme through John's gospel and, and through the biblical text. This happened so the scriptures would be fulfilled. Well, that could lead us down another rabbit hole, so we won't, won't go there, but that could, you know, but, but nonetheless, we'll just take this small window right here for now. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah. This is a common theme in John that scripture must be fulfilled, that these things happen so scripture would be fulfilled. And against um, what I would prefer to do, I'll just give you the, the text in case you'd be writing such things down. But, but John chapter 13, verse 18, John chapter 15, 25, 17, 12, 19, 25, and 19, 36, John says, this happened so the scriptures would be fulfilled. And John has already made it clear that it is only as God draws us that we can believe. And now what has been written in prophecy, he says, must be fulfilled, must be fulfilled. So, verse 37. Verse 37, they would not believe. You see that? Verse 37 was, they would not believe. And now here in verse 30, 39, they could not believe. See that in verse 39? For this reason. Again, we've got, we got four. This is bringing forward, right? I mean, it's just... Simple stuff. Bringing forward for this reason, they could not. They could not believe. Now Murray, he had this to say. He says that we must never forget that it is by God's appointment that if His word does not quicken, it must deaden. If God's word does not quicken, it must must deaden. I, I, I want to. Um, since John seems to be spending a lot of time in Isaiah, I will too this morning. Just seems appropriate to follow suit. And so I want to remind you of, of Isaiah chapter 55. In, in Isaiah chapter 55, it's a text, it's a couple of verses that are, that are very familiar to us, um, I, I, I would think. And starting in verse 6 of Isaiah 55, 6, where Isaiah says, Seek the Lord. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and return to Yahweh, return to the Lord. And he will have compassion on him and to our guide, our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts, God says, are not your thoughts, 
nor are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as far as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there without watering the earth. Simple science. And making it bear and sprout and furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so will my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire. Listen. What God set out to accomplish, God will accomplish. It is the same sun that melts the snow, as my buddy Steve Lawson likes to say. It is the same sun that melts the snow that hardens the clay. Simple science. Romans chapter 9, verse 18. Paul says he has mercy on whom he desires, and he hardens who he desires. But again, I remind you the way Romans started out. (laughs) Men who suppressed the truth. They knew God. They did not honor doxa. It's glory. We know that word, right? It's glory. It's translated honor. But they did not glorify God. Did not give thanks to God. They became futile in their speculations. Their foolish hearts were, were darkened. They thought they were wise. They they became fools. They exchanged the glory. They exchanged it. That means they had it. They exchanged the glory of God. It was right there before them, and they, they decided, no, I'll take the incorruptible instead. Therefore, God did what? God said, okay. He gave them over to what they wanted. He gave them over to what they wanted. Do you want God this morning? Do you want God this morning? It's the only way you can have him. Do you want God this morning? But again, I remind you of John 6, 37, when Jesus said, the one who comes to me, I will never, never cast out. That is what I want to leave you with this this morning. Have you come to Christ? Have you come to Christ this morning? Do you want him? Do you want God? Now, verse 40. Verse 40. Remind you of what John said in verse 39, says, therefore they could not believe. Now he goes to verse 44, Isaiah said again, he has blinded, speaking of God, he has blinded their eyes, he hardened their heart. Why? Well, so that they would not see with their eyes, perceive with their heart, and be converted, and I heal them. Now, right here, we must interject that God is not the author of evil. God is not the author, author of evil. I remind you of 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. It says that the God, small g, the God of this world has blinded their minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ. And I want to remind you also of, of, of the parable in Matthew chapter 13, the parable of the sower, where the sower went out. 
He spreads some seed upon the rocky path. He's, you, you get the parable right, Matthew chapter 13. But the, what I want to point out is there's some seed that, that landed on the road, the seed that landed on the hard pack, the seed that landed on the pavement. Well, obviously, it's not going to grow that. And their disciples are like, hey, what gives, Jesus? What's up with that? The birds came and ate it. And Jesus said, oh, oh that seed. That's the one that was cast. That's the one that was sown. And before it could take root, before it could do anything, the devil, Jesus says the devil came and took it from him. The evil one, Jesus actually literal, Jesus says the evil one comes and snatches it away. And snatches it away. Isaiah 6.10, which is what John is quoting here. It's also referenced in Matthew 13, right before Jesus gives the parable of the sower. It's also referenced in Acts chapter 28, when Paul is preaching to the Jewish people, and they reject Jesus. They reject Jesus. It's also, we have Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11 that deal with this same dilemma. So what is the cause? What caused the unbelief? The biblical text, we have it as the Jewish people, as the chosen ones of God. What is God? It's God. Exodus chapter 9, verse 16. We have the example, we have the story of the Pharaoh. And as Moses comes to Pharaoh and says, let my people go. Leading up to that, God says, for this reason I have allowed you, Pharaoh. For this reason I have allowed you to remain, in order to show you my power, and in order to proclaim my name through all the earth. That's the reason God gives. And just, if you're like me, I'm pretty quick to say, well, that's the Old Testament. Well, Paul quotes it in Romans chapter 9, verse 17, drawing upon his example right here. But God is not arbitrary. God is not a deterministic God. I want to read for you um, one more time just to put it before you. In Isaiah chapter 6, that John quotes here. Um, in John chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. See, see, this is the interesting thing, right? So, so Isaiah has this vision. It starts in Isaiah chapter 6. He has this vision that he, that he sees God. And then, then it comes down, and, and Isaiah gets all excited. Sometimes he's like me. Sometimes he's like Peter. You know, it's just like he gets all excited. He says, yeah, I'll go, I'll go, I'll go, right? Pick me, pick me. He says, here I am. Send me. And now he comes into verse 9. He says, okay, I'll send you. And he, he said, go. Tell the people. Keep on listening. But do not pre uh, perceive. Keep on looking, but do not understand. Render the hearts of this people insensitive, their ears dull, their eyes dim. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts. About this time, I'd be like Isaiah, say, whoa, whoa I, I'm not signing up for that. You mean I'm supposed to preach? I'm supposed to teach? I'm supposed to, to go about it? And you're just going to stop up their ears and, and close their eyes? I'm not up for that, but see, that's, that's how we can read and that's how we can understand it. But I think, but I think what we must understand is, is here that this, this is not a decree in advance by an absolute will forcing damnation upon men arbitrarily, but a judicial, punitive decree on those who stubbornly 
refuse to believe in God's infallible, infinite knowledge. And, and, and so what, how we must understand is that, that God isn't saying, this is what I'm going to do. God's going to say, this is going to be the result of your preaching, Isaiah. They're going to hear it. Their eyes are just going to become heavy. Their ears are just going to become full, so full of this stuff. And in essence, it's like I'm closing their eyes. In essence, it's like I'm stopping up their ears. They're just overwhelmed. They're gluttons. They're just not going to receive it. They're going to continue over and over and over. They're going to refuse it. They're going to refuse it. They're going to refuse it. And they're going to become dull of hearing to the point where they can't even hear anymore. They're going to become blind to the point where they, they can't even see anymore. See, see the, the, the prophecy of Isaiah is because, because of the foreknowledge of God, because God knows his plan, because God knows how the people are going to respond to this. See Isaiah chapter, or John chapter, yeah, quoting Isaiah here, but, but John chapter um, um, 12, verse 41, Isaiah continues, or John continues saying that these things Isaiah said because he saw his glory. He saw his glory. He saw Jesus. He saw the incarnation before the incarnation of Jesus. And if you remember how the gospel of John started out in John chapter, chapter 1, verse 14, and John saw Jesus after, or John is pointing to Jesus after his incarnation when he says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory, glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth, full of grace and truth. So, what do we do? Verse 42, nevertheless, John says, Nevertheless, many, even, many, even of the rulers, even of the self-righteous religious people believed in Jesus. But because of the Pharisees, they were not confessing him for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. Is there such a person as a silent Christian? Is there such a person as a silent, silent Christian. See, often we look at the good deeds that out of God's common grace gives to all. But is there such a person as a, as a silent? And I'd say no. No, there's not. There's no such thing as a silent Christian. Romans 10.9 will tell us that there, there's, there's not. Just as a quick place to go, he says that, for if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Because with the heart a person believes, and what? With the mouth a person confesses. Many commentaries want to point to, and in your, if you got a study Bible, it may actually make this note in your study Bible that they, they point to this as a, yeah, there were some of these silent rulers that did believe in Jesus, and they point to Joseph Farimathea, who, who got up on the cross, pulled Jesus' body down, Nicodemus came along also beside him, and they went and buried Jesus, and they say, see, here were two silent followers, but I would say, see, we know about it, so how secret is that? <laughs> Right, so I, I I would I would disagree with those who want to point to that, and I would say that there is no such thing as a silent, non-confessing. Could also say it in the negative, non-confessing Christian. So I think that's what John that that's John's point in verse forty-three. For they, what? For they love the approval of men 
rather than the approval of God. Well, if you like the approval, there again is our word doxa. That should be, they love the glory that they receive from men versus the glory they receive from God. So, a love that destroys. A love that destroys. See, you see the positive, right? John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. That's the positive. It's the love that destroys evil to make a way possible for, for united. It's this love that destroys evil. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13, For when you were dead, you were non-existent. You were dead in your trespasses and sin. He, Jesus, made you alive together with him, having forgiven us of all our transgressions, having canceled out their certificate of debt, consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us. And he, Jesus, has taken it out of the way. How so? By nailing it to the cross. When he disarmed, he exposed, literally stripped the clothes off. It's exposing them. When he exposed the rulers and the authorities, he made a public display of them. This is a love that destroys evil. That's the positive side of love that destroys. The the, the negative we have right here in our text today, where the glory that they received, that they rather had, was the glory of men rather than the glory of God, and that's a love that destroys the soul. Love that destroys the soul. See, see the whole problem, the, the essence of sin, is we love ourselves more, more than God. We love ourselves, which destroys, rather than loving God, which restores, which restores. Father, I pray this morning as we think through your text and as we ramble along, as I ramble along Father, those things, Lord, that have value, that have meaning. Father, like the seed that is thrown, sown on, on the good soil, may it root in our life. And Father, as we take serious stock of where we are with our relationship with you, knowing that you will never, you will never turn down anyone who comes to you out of a sincere heart. And so, Father, I pray that even in the midst of what can be a challenging text, We can also take great encouragement from it, knowing that you indeed are in control of all, of all the good, all the bad. Father, it is in your hands, and that is where we want to leave it this morning. I pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen.